listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'd like to actually start today um, by looking, um, well, maybe say this first. Um, In the Epiphany uh, series that we're in, Beyond Belief, this particular passage that we read from Isaiah, that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who live in a land of deep darkness, the light has shined upon them. I mean, this is what Epiphany is really all about. It's about the light. It's about revelation, about manifestation, about seeing what we couldn't see before. We once lived in darkness, but now we live in the light. The light that we now live in is none other than the light of Christ. And when Christ's light is shined, not only do we see Christ, but we see ourselves in that new light. Um, And we become new. We become part of a new family. Uh, This week, actually, they didn't know I was going to say this, but but Robin and Brittany adopted Alexander and Robin Jr. And congratulations. (laughs) They found their forever family. And they saw the judge, and they got a new name. And that's what we hope for, right? That we'll find our forever family, not just where we were born to, not, not just what, whatever we might have come from, not all of our history that was in the darkness, but now our future that is in the light. And one day we too will see a judge. But that judge is none other than the very lover of our souls, the one who died for us the one who will give us a new name. Ashley read for us in the call to worship this morning from Psalm 27, and it says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the standard of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, Scripture will tell us that the fear of the Lord is a good thing, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is a place to begin. But I'm afraid... (laughs) That's funny, the fear of the Lord. I'm afraid... I'm I'm afraid that too often Christians have stopped there as though God is something to be afraid of. As though the fear of the Lord is not the is the end of the story rather than the beginning. St. Anthony, um, kind of a early church leader and kind of the founder of like monastic uh, movements, uh, says this. I actually have an icon of him hanging in my office at the college. And interestingly enough, um, there's a little scroll, which is pretty common to icons. It's written on there, not in Greek, though, which is how they typically would be, but this one's in English, which is nice for everybody who just might roam into the office. But on the scroll, it says, I no longer fear God, but love him. Because while I think the fear of the Lord might be the beginning of wisdom, the end of wisdom is the love of God. We start with an awe or a reverence or a sense of other. But eventually we get swept up in the very love of God and we are brought close and we realize there is nothing here to fear because this one loves us more than we love ourselves. You see, sometimes we'll see passages of Scripture that talk about God kind of distancing himself from us, but I don't think he's ever distancing him from who we truly are. I think he might be distancing from who we pretend to be. The, the departure stories are always ones where God is not willing to live 
with the version of us that is broken. God is not willing to settle for a version of us that um, is false or not just rejects him, but kind of rejects ourselves and rejects others. Thomas Merton, in his wonderful book, The New Seeds of Contemplation, speaks of this false self, a self that not only does God reject, but in some ways, Merton would say, the false self doesn't even truly exist. He writes this, Every one of us is shadowed by an illusionary person, a false self. This is the man I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him. <laughs> and, and to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. My false self and my private self is the one who wants to exist outside of the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. We are not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves, the ones we are born with, which, we feed, which feed the roots of sin. For most people in the world, there is no greater subjective reality than this false self of theirs, which cannot exist. A life devoted to the cult of this shadow is what is called a life of sin. All sin starts with an assumption that my false self the self that exists only in my egocentric desires is the fundamental reality of life to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus, I use up my life in the desire for pleasures and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and love to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. That's what God is delivering us from. That is what God is kind of sending away. But who we really are, who we truly are, we see as we come to Christ, as we step out of the darkness, as we live in his marvelous light. But this is easier said than done. And we see example after example in the early church, well, in our own lives for that matter, but biblically we even see example after example of the way in which the early church also struggled with this reality with this revelation. And the, one of the passages of scriptures that Alex read for us was Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and he had been there and they had experienced some unity, but now that he's gone, they're experiencing some division. And he, so he's writing to them and he wants to address them. And apparently he's now in Ephesus and, and a, a woman from Corinth who apparently is pretty successful in life and business and she has sent some of her entourage, probably for some additional business and, and travel and such, to Ephesus. But when they're there, they're supposed to relay to Paul the reality that, that things in Corinth aren't good, that, that divisions have evolved. Um, her name is Chloe. And we, we don't really know anything about her, except it says that Paul has heard from Chloe's people. Now, I've always wanted to have people. I've always wanted to say, I'm going to have my people get with your people. But I've never quite had that. Not, not exactly. At least not what I think that Chloe had. But in any case, Chloe had people, and she had them talk to Paul. And now Paul knows things that he wouldn't have known otherwise. And now he's writing back to the Corinthians. And he's saying, look, I've heard from Chloe's people, and I hear that there's divisions among you. 
Some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Paulus, some say I'm of Cephas, that's Peter, right? And some say I'm of Christ. Now, what are these divisions about? It's hard to know for sure. Maybe that some were just identifying with those particular personalities, and certainly in the way in which we've seen Christianity practice, we understand that, that um, there's, there can be like a personality cult, um, or what my, my mom would call um, preacher religion. She said people would get attached to a particular pastor, and they were faithful as long as that person was around, but if that person left, then they were kind of, I don't know, uh, missing in action. Uh, and so maybe some people liked Paul the best, or Apollos the best, or Peter the best. But others have suggested that, that maybe, maybe something deeper might be uh, at work there. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, and Apollos was like a Greek philosopher, and, and Peter was this kind of uh, you know, Palestinian Jewish you know, um, Galilean, like close, close to Jesus. And so that that might have represented the diversity in the Corinthian Jewish kind of community, right? Or, or you know, some of them were, were Gentiles as well. Some might, some might say, well, I'm a Roman citizen, so I'm, I'm like Paul. And others might say, well, my, my family's, you know, from Galilee. That's where Jesus is from. <laughs> and others might say, well, I really appreciate the... The, the sophisticated philosophical teaching of Apollos, right? We don't know for sure what the division was, but the division that gets mentioned, like we do get one example. So we can, we can speculate what they thought when they said, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. I might just, quick, I might just add this. To say I'm of Christ is not what uh, Paul is advocating. He's not saying, don't say I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paulus, but rather you should say I'm of Christ. He lists the ones who say I'm of Christ on the list of things not to say. Isn't that interesting? Like, don't say I'm of Paul. Don't say I'm of Apollos. Don't say I'm of Cephas. Don't say I'm of Christ. Well, what would be problematic about saying I'm of Christ? Well, think, this is a division, this is an argument. So if you say, well, I don't know what you do at your church, but we follow the Bible. <laughs> well, that's nice. I guess we follow something else. Or, or you know, you, you're a Methodist or you're a Presbyterian or, or you're Catholic or you're a Pentecostal. I just follow Jesus. Well, isn't that lovely? Don't use Christ as a, as a wedge. Like, don't use Christ as something to divide people. Like, if anything, that might be the worst of all, that in the midst of the argument, you're just saying, well, you just follow that, but I'm just following the Lord. Well, great. I don't guess I'm following the devil. <laughs> like, like, don't do those things. Don't be divisive. So the example, well, again, we could speculate about what their division was about. The example that Paul gives is baptism. He says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Right? You weren't baptized in the name of Paul or Apollos or Peter. You weren't baptized there. And he says, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any of you except for, I don't have the text in front of me. Um, I forget the guy's name. Gaius and Stephanus. Yeah. Stephanus and Gaius. And then he goes on. He goes, well, I did baptize everyone in this one household. 
So our, our translations put it in a paraphrase. I kind of feel for Paul at that point. He's trying to make an argument that the people in the church there in Corinth, that he wasn't the one who baptized them. But then as he starts to list the people that he baptized, he ends up listing a lot of people. <laughs> that sounds like a letter that I would write. <laughs> get, get all worked up in the sermon. And then I'm thinking, oh, wait, I don't, uh, that, that, that last thing I said was not exactly right. If I can put that in a sidebar and a parentheses and, and then come back around to what I'm trying to say. I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians does. I'm glad I, glad I didn't baptize any of you, except for Jackson and uh, except for Sonny and except for everybody in the Tackett's household. But anyway, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, we are baptized into Christ. And that is the point, my friends. You see, in our baptisms, we go down into the water and we identify with Christ. And we identify with all those with whom Christ identifies. We say this when we, when we baptize people here at Oasis. We picked it up from, um, is Jim here? Jim Clinton? There you are. Bob Eckblad. That's what it is. I was going to ask you who it was, but then I looked at you and I remembered his name. Uh, a theologian from out west who says this, kind of contrasting Jesus and his experience with water with, um, with Noah and with Moses. You see, Noah was in the ark, and so he was kind of saved from the water. And Moses is kind of doubly saved from the water, right? As a child, he's put in the basket, so he floats down the river. And then as an adult, the, the water is parted, so they kind of pass on dry ground. But Jesus, not, unlike Noah and unlike Moses, doesn't avoid the water. Jesus goes down into the water. And what's down there under the water? Well, under the water is death. You, we're not fish. We can't live under the water. Under the water is Pharaoh and all his armies. Under the water is all the sin and all the darkness and all the brokenness. And that's with whom Jesus identifies. Jesus is down there with all of us and all of our hardships and all of our difficulties and all of our brokenness. But then Jesus comes up out of the water into a new life. And we, in our baptism, go down with Jesus, and identify with all of that that's in the world. And then, like Jesus, we follow him out of the water into a new life, into a new creation, into a new way of being human. We find our true selves in the following of Christ. Not our false projections, not the people we wish we were, not the folks we pretend to be, not who our mothers scolded us for not being, not from who our employers, you know, tried to uh, mold us into, but who we are in Christ. As Father Giles says, um, I might be a sinner, but before that, I am a beloved sinner. I am a child of God. Um, you know, I critique Descartes a lot, and I'm sure I should probably give him more credit than I do. But his philosophical project, I think, therefore I am, I think is just so faulty. It kind of reduces all of humanity down to just an intellectual exercise. It makes us just a mind in a way that's so dualistic. Um, there's this, as you know, I've said before, as opposed to Descartes, I think, therefore I am, we should follow St. Augustine's, I am loved, therefore I am or I am because I am loved. There's a South African philosophy called Umbutu that I think also speaks to this reality. 
and Nelson Mandela and, and, and Desmond Tutu kind of popularized this because of their platforms. But Ubuntu says this. It says, I am because we are. That my existence is not radically independent of you. That my life, my person, my true self is entangled. It's wrapped up with you and, and others. That we are apart. Like we're not so separate as we imagine ourselves to be. Because we are all in Christ. We have come from God and we find our true identity in the God whom has been revealed, and that is Jesus Christ. And I think others have, have spoken to this kind of the general concept of what Mbutu means, I am because we are. Martin Buer, the Jewish philosopher, when he wrote in I and Thou, I think he's saying basically the same thing, that my relationship with you has to be a relationship of subject to subject, not subject to object, Right? We objectify so many things in our life. It's, the, it's our culture that tells us that everything is a commodity, that everything is for sale, that everything can be exchanged. But the mystery and the beauty of Christ is just the opposite of that impulse, right? We're not taking um, um, holy things and making them common. God takes common things and he makes them holy. The common and the mundane of everyday life, the, the bread and the wine at the table, he takes those things and he makes them into the body of Christ so that all of our lives, everyone we see, our joys and our sorrows, our ups and our downs, our health and our sickness, kind of in like in those wedding vows, you know, in, rich, in riches and poor and sickness and health, to death do us part, that, that vow is a vow of binding people together, the, the entanglement of life. And I think that's truly how we really are made to be, that we're not so separate. So we find Christ, we find ourselves in Christ, and then we find that our true selves are now a part of all these other people, which of course then provides justification about why we care for them and why we love them and why we support them and why we hurt when they hurt and why we get angry when, when they suffer pain. That, that's, that's part of who we're truly called to be. It's beautiful. It's life-giving. It is an epiphany. And of course, how then do we live, right? Our title of the series is Beyond Faith. So we want to move not to just ideas, right? Not just to our kind of Cartesian world, but we want to move into this embodied kind of incarnational reality that sees the other and embraces the other and sees Christ in them. And so I'm going to invite you to do something with me. I'm, we're going to, I'm going to put on the screen... Um, if, you, if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me? And I, I don't know if you've all been baptized. If you haven't been baptized, we have a baptism service that's coming up. I should know when it is. Uh, we don't actually have an exact date for it, but we put in the card. There you go. 
there's a date and we're talking about it in the staff meeting and it's coming up. And if you haven't been baptized, yeah, if you haven't been baptized, I, I would love to be a part of that in your life. But if you have been baptized, I want you to remember that that baptism involved a vow. And that vow, I'm going to give you the opportunity to reaffirm today. So on the screen, there'll be something for you to respond to as I, as I read. Are you ready? So think of this. Have you seen, have you seen those uh, examples where people have the renewal of their marriage vows? Have you seen that? They're not getting married again to that same person. Like they're already married. It's not remarriage to the same person again. Same thing. I'm not about to baptize you, but we are gonna we're gonna renew our baptismal vows. What do you seek? In baptism, you died with Christ to the forces of evil and rose to new life as members of his body. Will you study the promises made at your baptism and strive to keep them in companionship of this community? Will you attend the worship of God regularly with us to hear the word of God and celebrate the mystery of Christ dying and rising? Will you join us in our life of service to those who are powerless and outcast and work for justice and peace? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water and by the Holy Spirit, you have bestowed upon these your servants the forgiveness of sin and have raised them to new life of grace. Sustain, sustain them, O Lord, I pray, in your Holy Spirit. Give them an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere, a spirit to know and to love, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Amen. You can be seated. I pray that on a regular basis, your commitment of your baptism can be in the forefront of your mind and soul. And that you can truly live that new life full of joy and full of courage and full of expectation of the goodness of the new life, the new life that is beyond faith. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.